Hello, church family. Thank you for joining us for another message from Res Life Holland. We hope this sermon encourages you in your walk with Jesus and empowers you to live the life God has for you. Now sit back and enjoy today's message. Well, last week, we talked about the ever-popular topic of hell. Um, and we're going to continue talking about eternity Uh, But we're saving the best for last. So we're going to be talking more about heaven this week. But I'm going to start again with Matthew 25, verse 44, that says, They will answer, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger in need of clothes or sick or in prison and did not help you? And he will reply, Truly, I tell you, whatever you did for one of the least of these, you or did not do for the least of these, you did not do it for me. Then they will go away to eternal punishment, but the righteous to eternal life. So scripture tells us that there is both eternal punishment and eternal life. We talked last week about how whether we wish it was true or not, we can't have eternal life and then say that eternal punishment isn't eternal because they're described in scripture the same way. Um, We talked about hell being that separation from God Habakkuk 1.13 says, your eyes are too pure to look on evil. You cannot tolerate wrong. Um, One of the simple ways that I picture that complicated situation is simply that God's holiness does not mix with sin. And so he provided a way that our sin could be atoned for and removed. But for those who do not accept that, then they, they cannot exist in communion with God. And we're going to talk today about how, really, when we use the word heaven, when we talk about heaven, what we're talking about is eternal communion with God. Um, and that is not available when there is sin separating us. Therefore, salvation is necessary, and there is such a thing as eternal separation. And punishment. So the Bible says, Romans 3.23, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. We know that every one of us needs forgiveness. Now, the Bible says a lot about eternity. Paul, in 1 Thessalonians 4.16-18, says, For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a loud command, and the voice of the archangel, and with the trumpet call of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. That's talking about those who have died and been buried, or and we understand whether they were buried, burned, eaten, doesn't matter. God can figure that, that out. But those who have died will rise, and after that, those who are still alive and are left will be caught up together with him in the clouds to meet him, the Lord, in the air, and also we will be with the Lord forever. How long? With who? All right. And then he says, therefore, encourage one another with these words. He's talking about um, what we call the rapture. And that is when those who happen to still be alive at that time go up to be with the Lord. And all those who have previously died, who in spirit shall bodies are with the Lord, their physical bodies will be resurrected, and we can get into it a little bit later, their glorified bodies, which they will inhabit for eternity, will be theirs. Now, heaven, 
When we see heaven in, in Scripture, it's interesting. In Scripture, heaven can mean a couple of things. In 2 Corinthians, Paul says this. He says, I know a person who in Christ, in Christ, who 14 years ago was caught up to the third heaven. Whether in the body or out of the body, I do not know. God knows, and I know that such a person, whether in the body or out of the body, I do not know, God knows, was caught up into paradise and heard things that are not to be told that no mortal is permitted to repeat. So a couple of things. First off, in Scripture, in, in, in uh, biblical language, there were three heavens. There was heaven being the sky, heavens, second heaven, being like we would consider it outer space. So heaven was first the atmosphere, heaven was outer space, and then the third heaven is what he said he was brought up to where he encountered God and saw. That is, when you and I use the word heaven, we're talking about the third heaven. Um, eternal life is forever. Okay? However, the location where God dwells with us changes. So when, when he went to the third heaven, it's interesting, that's not the same place that eternity plays out. And, and I want to talk to you, in the Old Testament, when someone who was righteous died, they went somewhere different than where you and I will go, and where you and I will go is somewhere different than where we're going to spend eternity. So we read last week, and I, it, it was a long passage, so I'm not going to read the whole thing again, but do you remember we read the story of the rich man and Lazarus? Now, Jesus told this story, and we, we established that this isn't just a parable. This is an actual happening. Jesus told that before he died and rose from the dead, right? So it says that the poor man died, and he was brought to Abraham's bosom or Abraham's side. Now, we know scripturally, when you and I die, what does it say? To be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. But... Before Jesus had died and made the way, the, the, the rich man, or excuse me, the poor man, Lazarus, when he died, he went, the Bible called it Hades, waiting, it calls it captivity. He went there waiting for Jesus to finish the work so that then he would go up. The Bible says, quoting Psalm 68, 18, it says, when you ascend on high, you took many captives. Now, Ephesians explains what Psalms was talking about. So Psalms was talking about the Old Testament. Ephesians explains it, and it says, and he has generously given each, it's Ephesians 4, 7, he has generally given each of us supernatural grace according to the size of the gift of Christ. That's why he says he ascends, now it's quoting Psalms, into heavenly heights, taking his many captured ones with him, and gifts were given to men. Nine, verse nine, it says he ascended, meaning he returned to heaven after he had first descended from the heights of heaven, even into the lower regions namely the earth, the same one who ascended is the one who ascended from above the heights of heaven in order to begin the restoration and fulfillment of all things. 
This is talking about Jesus when he died on the cross. Remember, he said to the thief that was next to him, he said, today you will be with me in paradise. Paradise was the word for Abraham's bosom. Jesus, the Bible says, went to that place. And he took the, those, they called them captives, those who were waiting. He broke the curse of death and sin, and he brought them up into what we would call present heaven. This is where right now, if we say grandma died and went to heaven, we're talking about being there where God's throne is and where Jesus took the Old Testament saints and brought them at that time. But it's interesting. He says he begins the restoration of all things. A lot of times when we think of heaven, we were, we're influenced by cartoons and little stories, and we have this image of, of clouds and white robes and cupids and bow and arrow. I'm an archer. I like to hunt with bow and arrow, but that's not an accurate picture of heaven. The Bible actually tells us the story of how God is restoring all things. You remember, God created the world. He created a beautiful garden in order to have communion with mankind. And then sin stepped in. He created a plan to take care of sin. And he is going to restore the original plan of communion with him in a perfect world. This is where I think it starts to get fun. Because we, we know that the present heaven is, is going to be with God. The Bible says this in 2 Corinthians 5.8. It says, we live with a joyful confidence, yet at the same time we take delight that the thought of leaving our bodies behind to be at home with the Lord. When you and I leave our body, and we, we talked about this last week, death is a separation. Physical death is the separation of my spirit from my body. Spiritual death is the separation of my spirit from God. But we don't cease to exist. But the Bible does tell us that to be separate from the body means to be present with the Lord. That's what present heaven is. But here's the fun part. Present heaven is where God is. But God has given us his plans for moving. Revelation chapter 21 verse 1 says, Then I saw, and this is a prophetic vision, I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride beautifully dressed for her husband. What he's describing here is he says, I saw a new heaven and a new earth created. And then God's throne in this new city from the, what we'd say, present heaven, came down and was established on the new earth. And then he mentions that the new earth doesn't have 
the sea anymore. I, I Googled it real quick. Currently, 71% of the planet is ocean surface. In the new earth, that won't be the case. That's a qu quick way to solve global crowding. <laughs> what do we see? It says heaven and hell will both be relocated. In Gen or Revelation 20, verse 14, it says, Then death and Hades, those are the, that's the temporary place where the rich man was, will be thrown into the lake of fire. The lake of fire is the long-term permanent place of eternal separation and judgment. And the lake of fire is the second death. Again, what does death mean? It's separation. Anyone whose name was not found in the book of life was thrown into the lake of fire. So we see there's a new heaven, there's a new earth. What do we know about present-day heaven? This place where God's throne is, where we go when we die. Philippians 1.23, Paul says, I'm torn between the two. I desire to depart and be with Christ, which is far better. We know that present heaven is a wonderful place. What's interesting is our forever with God is unchanging. But that doesn't mean that the location is unchanging. We recognize God is planning to remake the earth and bring us back here, bring his heavenly city to here and establish, the Bible says, his kingdom on earth. Generally speaking, we don't see heaven. But in scripture, there are a few times when people did. Stephen, the Bible says in Acts 7.55, it says, full of the Holy Spirit, looked up to heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. Look, he said, I see heaven open and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. 2 Kings chapter 6, verse 17 says, and Elijah prayed, open his eyes, Lord, that he may see. And then the Lord opened the servant's eyes and he looked and he saw hills full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elijah. We tend to think of heaven as a mystical, unreal place. What we need to understand is that heaven is a spiritual realm, but it is very, very real. And as we see in Scripture, there are times that what is physical can interact with what is spiritual. Hebrews 13.2 says, Do not forget to show hospitality to strangers, for by doing so, some people have shown hospitality to angels without knowing it. The spiritual realm and the physical realm are not mutually exclusive. Many of us have encountered angels unaware. I picked up a particular hitchhiker one time. I will not be surprised if it turns out that it was an angel. I don't know. 
I've always wondered, though, whenever I hear, read that scripture, I always think about that one particular guy. I'm like, I don't know. You know maybe he was just some dude. Great. But I understand that spiritual beings can interact with the physical world. Paul, we read the verse where he says, I went to heaven. I don't know if I had my body with me. You think about that? Like, one of the things that we need to, if, if we're going to spend eternity in a spiritual body, I think that it's, it's nice to, to learn a little bit about it. Paul basically is showing us that our spiritual body is similar enough that he wasn't sure which one he was driving. He says, I went to heaven. I don't know if I was physically there or if only spiritually there. But he says, they're, they're so close. They're so close. Jesus had his glorified body. And he came back and he interacted with the disciples. He said, men of Galilee, they said, why do you stand there looking into the sky? This same Jesus who has been taken from you into heaven will come back in the same way you have seen him go into heaven. He, he says that his, he's coming back in the same way that he interacted with them. Enoch and Elijah, how many of you remember what's unique about their stories? Enoch, the Bible says, walked with God and that he was not because God took him. Implying that, Enoch, and later it says that he did never t tasted death. So we know Enoch went to a spiritual realm with his physical body. Elisha, same thing. The Bible says that a chariot, a fiery chariot came and he rode a fiery chariot in, in what body? Version 1.0, same one you and I have. And he rode that up into heaven. I don't understand the entirety of the dynamics. I don't know what it takes for God to switch that over. I don't know how it functions. But the spiritual is not incompatible in every way. There, there, there was, still is, uh, existing a um, heretical teaching that basically says all things spiritual are good, all things physical are bad. But we see that that's not the case. Throughout Scripture, we see that physical bodies can interact with the spiritual. The spiritual bodies can interact with ours. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 40 says this, There are also heavenly bodies and there are earthly bodies, but the splendor of the heavenly bodies is one kind and the splendor of the earthly bodies is another. The sun has one kind of splendor, the moon another, and the stars another, and the Stars differ from stars in splendor. So will it be with the resurrection of the dead. The body that is sown perishable, it is raised imperishable. It is sown in dishonor, it is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness, it is raised in power. It is sown a natural body, and it is raised a spiritual body. If there is a natural body, there is also a spiritual body. We recognize we will, when we die, 
our spirit immediately goes to the presence of the Lord because our sins have been forgiven. If, if we did not, if our sins are not forgiven, then we go to Hades, which is that temporary punishment where the rich man was, awaiting the white throne judgment when then even the angel, the, the demons and the angels are also cast into the lake of fire. And we come back and then the new earth is established and we spend time there. So here's a few, we'll take some of the time that we have left and we'll answer a few different questions about what it's like in heaven. Do people in heaven know what's happening on earth? Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1 says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles us and let us run with perseverance the race that is marked out for us. Luke 15, 7 says, I tell you in the same way, there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who do not need to repent. So the Bible describes that the people in heaven are witnesses and it also says that they rejoice over what's happening here. In heaven, we are not omniscient, meaning we don't know all things. We are not omnipresent. doesn't mean we are, that you become, you are everywhere. Only God is omnipresent. But we are aware. So the scripture is clear that, that heaven is aware of earth. I don't know if the nightly news is giving them highlights of, of what's going on. I don't know if, if each of us from there can just say, all right, I want to take a look now at you know, what's happening. But the Bible does say that heaven sees. And it's interesting if we think about the experience with Stephen when he was being uh, stoned. It says he looked up and he saw heaven. Now, distance-wise, how far was he looking? I don't know, but he, he was able to see. So yes, heaven is aware of earth. They, they react to what is happening here. Um, heaven is described as being a city. Hebrews 11.10 says, for he was looking to the city with foundations whose architect and builder is God. Chapter 13, verse 14 says, for where... We do not have an enduring city, but we are looking for the city that is to come. In Revelation chapter 20 through 21, if you're excited about heaven, that's a section you want to read in its entirety. But it mentions mountains, rivers, trees, water, houses, buildings, and streets. Remember that eternity is going to be a restoration of all things. There's going to be mountains. There's going to be rivers. Personally, I love nature. I love, like one of my favorite trips ever, my wife and I, we went to Alaska. And she had a, a conference for work, and so I tagged along. It was only dark an hour and a half a day. 
So, like, it wasn't that big a deal that they, you know, she was busy for six or seven hours because afterwards we could take a nap and then go climb a mountain and come back down and it still would be just bright at like 11.30 p.m. But it was gorgeous. The mountains, the snow-capped mountains and the, the rivers and the waterfalls and the, the beautiful flowers and I forget what month. It was one of the J months. It was June or July that we were there. June. Oh, my goodness. If you want to go play somewhere in June, go to Alaska. It is a little slice of heaven. The Bible says that heaven will have that. That is, it is a restoration of, of God's purpose. God created earth that way on purpose. Yes, it's tainted by sin and the curse, but he will restore it. The Bible says um, that we will become like Jesus when he was resurrected. It says, but Christ has indeed been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. The first fruits means like the, that's another term they would give the tithe. It's the, it's the start of, the first example of, the first of many to come. When Jesus was raised from the dead, he's talking about we too will be raised from dead. What will we look like in heaven? We're going to look similar, enough to ourselves that we are recognizable. And we talked about this last week. We saw that the rich man was able to recognize Lazarus at a distance. We also established, though, that spirits can identify each other beyond what they see. John the Baptist and Jesus were in the, their mother's wombs, and when they came together, the Bible says John the Baptist leapt in his mother's womb. We talked just briefly about how that means for those of us who may have lost a child, that we never got to learn or memorize their face, that spiritually we will be able to recognize them, like John the Baptist was able to recognize Jesus. But our physical beings will be recognizable. Someone asks, well, how old will I be in heaven? And I got to thinking about that, and I, I don't have the scientific answer, but I do think that we would understand how to find it. See, I don't believe that a baby who, who dies is then locked into a baby status. Of course not. They're going to grow. They're going to mature. If, if an adult can never get beyond two years age in their cognitive ability and their relational ability, we recognize that as a problem right? God is not causing people not to mature so that they can grow, but there is no more decline. So at what point does your body reach its peak condition, maturity, before it declines? Did you say 28? Honey, you're ahead of it right now. Whatever this is, 37. She is 38 now. Yeah, you, this is, so I think it could be 38 because she, no, I'm just kidding. Um, whatever it is that our bodies reach, we will mature, reach that, but we will not decline. The Bible calls those bodies, this body perishable, the other body 
imperishable. So you say, well, which version am I going to be? Am I going to be my 80-year-old version with wrinkles? I don't think so. I don't think so. Someone said they hope not. Some of you guys look pretty good. But no, so we will, we will have a body that does not decline. What will we do in heaven? This is interesting. A lot of us, and, and the Bible talks about the marriage supper of the Lamb, the great feast. The Bible talks about worship. There will be worship. But a lot of people got stuck there. And they're like, I don't know. I mean, I've heard of, like, pastors who are kind of like, I don't know if I'm so excited about, you know, an eternal worship service. I'm like, man, you don't get it. First of all, worshiping in God's presence is not going to be boring. First of all. However, the Bible does not give us a picture of eternity being simply a long worship service. The parable of the ten talents is talking about earth and eternity. Okay, how are we doing on time? I think I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to read this. Um, I'm using the New International Version, so it calls them minas. But here we go. While we were still listening to this, he went on to tell them a parable because he was near Jerusalem and the people thought, that the kingdom of God was going to appear at once. The king, what is the kingdom of God? That is the kingdom that, he, that will be established for eternity. And they thought it was coming instantly. And he says, A man of noble birth went to a distant country, and he gave himself appointed king, and then, a man of noble birth, to have himself appointed king, and then to return. So he called ten of his servants, and he gave them ten minas, or talents. He put this money to work, he said, until I come back. But his subjects hated him and sent a delegation after him. We don't want this man to be our king. And he was made king. However, when he turned home, he sent for the servants to whom he had given the money in order to find out what they had gained with it. The first one came and said, your mina earned ten more. Well done, my good servant, master replied. Because you have been trustworthy and very small, take charge of ten cities. The second came and said, Sir, your mina has earned five more. His master replied, You take charge of five cities. Then another came and said, Here's your mina. I kept it laid away in a piece of cloth. I was afraid for you because you are a hard man. You take out what you did not put in and reap what you did not sow. And he replied, I judge you by your own words, wicked servant. You knew. Anyway, I'm going to stop there. I want to go back. What did the righteous, the the good guys in this do? He says, I'm putting you in charge of cities. Did you notice that the Bible keeps talking about cities, about kingdom? What the Bible actually describes heaven as is a kingdom where God is in charge and where his the Christians help him to rule and reign in a perfect world. I, I don't know which aspects of, of daily life will, down to the nitty-gritty, which we keep and which we don't, but most of it. You'll get up 
spend your day working, but without to remember. The toil was part of the curse. Have you ever noticed working can be fun? You ever noticed working? Most of us, when we go have fun, we just, it's a fabricated different kind of work. What are you going to do? All right, I'm going to take this ball, and I'm going to bounce it so many times, and then I'm going to go over there, and then you're going to try to stop me, but I'm going to work really hard at it, and then I'm going to put it in, whoo! What do I do? I worked, but we call it playing. I worked at sports, and I worked at different things. What heaven will involve activity. God's kingdom will be established, and he says he will be recruiting us to assist in ruling and reigning in that kingdom. So interesting. There's worship, but there's so much more. Revelations 22 Verse 3 says, No longer will there be any curse. The throne of God and the Lamb will be in the city, and his servants will serve him. Without the curse. So whatever endeavor that we're embarking on, whichever job we have, will be fulfilling activity serving the Lord without the curse of toil. Remember when Adam and Eve sinned and, and they were kicked out of the Garden of Eden. And that is when he said, you will toil to accomplish. He was a gardener before, but it was easy. It was fun. There was no toil to it. But when the curse of sin came, that's when it became challenging. So, my wife loves our dogs. Will there be animals in heaven? Isaiah chapter 11, verse 4. But the righteous he will judge the needy. With the justice he will give decisions for the poor on the earth. He will strike the earth with the rod of his mouth. With the breath of his lips he will slay the wicked. Righteousness will be his belt and faithfulness the sash around his waist. So this is talking about the great throne judgment. Then it says, this is what comes next. The wolf will live with the lamb. The leopard will lie down with the goat. And the calf and the lion and the yearling together and a child will lead them. The cow will feed with the bear. Their young will lie down together and the lion will eat straw like an ox. Yes, there will be animals. But there will no longer be the, the enmity that exists in, you know, you ever watch Discovery Channel? It gets brutal out there. Not in the new earth. Yes, there's animals, but there's no longer the curse of sin. The infant will play near the cobra's den, and the young child will put its hand into the viper's nest, and they will neither harm nor destroy on all my holy mountain. For the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. Now, I like, to, I like to notice that there's peace. There's, we, 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 we've, we've always noticed that. But guess what? There's snakes. There's leopards. There's wolves. 
there's cows, there's bears, there's all of that, but without any danger at all. Like, I remember, so how many of you, has anyone here ever been to the Galapagos Islands? Anybody here? One! Oh, my dad went when I was like, I don't know, eight or whatever. And his description was that you, you could go to these islands where people had never been and that the animals hadn't learned any fear of people. And I don't know if it has remained that way. I don't know if after 20, 30 years that has changed. But he says, you know, he would go there and, you know, sea turtle would just ride up. You could just sit on the sea turtle and ride. These animals had no fear of people. And I just remember thinking, wow, that would be so amazing. Well, that's what heaven will be like. Another question, will I have my own home in heaven? John 14, verse 2, King James, it says, In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. Um, there's another parable um, about the shrewd manager. It's, it's an interesting parable. It's actually about a man who recognizes that he's going to lose his job, but he's managing things for a rich man, and he uses the position that is temporary to gain favor long-term. And then God says that that move is similar to someone who uses their time on earth to prepare for eternity. And it says here that the master commended the dishonest manager because he had acted shrewdly for the people of this world are more shrewd in dealing with their own kind than they are the people of light. I tell you, use worldly wealth to gain friends for yourself so that when it is gone, you will be welcomed into eternal dwellings. What are eternal dwellings? He's talking about life after death and the dwellings and the houses that were there. Yes, when, we, when, when we're in heaven, we will have homes. I don't know what it looks like. I'm, I'm hoping for a view of a waterfall. But you will have homes. You will be going and coming. 1 John 5.13 says, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God so that you may know that you have eternal life. The Bible is clear. We should know that we have eternal life. We don't wonder. We don't hope. We know. How do we know? Romans 10, 9, and 10. If you declare with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is with your heart that you believe and are justified, and it is with your mouth that you profess your faith and are saved. So if you're here and you know that your sins are forgiven, that you're right with God, you have eternal life. Raise your hand. If you're listening and you say, I want that, but I don't know if I have it. I hope I do. I went to church as a kid. Does that count? Whatever it is, you just hope. The Bible says no. You can know. And it describes and tells us exactly how we can know. We know by professing with our mouth what we believe in our heart that Jesus did die on the cross for our sins and raise from the dead. If you're 
desirous of knowing. If you want to know a certainty, you can leave this place knowing today. With every eye closed just for a moment, I want to invite you, if you want to make that step today, raise your hand and we'll pray together. If you're watching online, if that's you, I see one hand. Anyone else? Let's, let's pray together. And I want you to repeat with me. Say, dear God, I believe that you died on the cross for my sin and that you rose from the dead defeating sin and death. I make you the Lord of my life. I will live for you. I accept your forgiveness. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. All right, if you're watching online and you prayed that prayer and you want, please let us know. Send us a note. You can send us a a comment. You can send us a direct message, whatever you'd like, and we will get back with you with some extra instructions on how to make that last into a godly life. And for those of you who are here, raise your hand. If you don't mind coming down, I do have a gift for you.